I saw the thing coming out of the sky It had a one long horn and one big eye Like a mister shaking in the city It looks like a purple people eater to me It was a one-eyed, one-horned flying purple people eater One-eyed, one-horned flying purple people eater One-eyed, one-horned flying purple people eater Sure looks strange to me Came down to earth and he lit in the tree I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, don't eat me I heard him say in a voice so gruff I wouldn't eat you cause you're so tough It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater Sure looks strange to me I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, what's your line? He said, eating purple people and it sure is fine But that's not the reason that I came to land I wanna get a job in a rock and roll band Well, bless my soul, rock and roll, flying purple people eater Pigeon toad, undercoat, flying purple people eater We wear short shorts Friendly little people eater, what a sight to see and then he swung from the tree and he lit on the ground And he started to rock, really rocking around It was a crazy ditty with a swinging tune Sing a bop, bop, a boop, a lap, a loom, bam, boom Well, bless my soul, rock and roll, flying purple people eater Pigeon toad, undercoat, flying purple people eater I like short shorts Flying purple people eater What a sight to see Purple people Well, he went on his way and then what do you know I saw him last night on a TV show He was blowing it out, really knocking him dead Playing rock and roll music through the horn in his head of our special three-part series on 9-11, the collapse of the Twin Towers. On the first part, we went over the first two airplanes involved, Flight 11 and Flight 175. Both airplanes were hijacked by Al-Qaeda terrorists on September 11, 2001. In a stomach-churning event, these men crashed Flight 11 and Flight 175 into the World Trade Centers, killing approximately 2,996 people between 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. On part two, we went over the other two airplanes involved in the September 11th attacks, Flight 77 and Flight 93. Flight 77 was also hijacked by Al-Qaeda members and in another revolting attack, they crashed the airplane into the U.S. Pentagon. This was another major loss of life, as 125 people in the building perished, along with 64 people on the airplane itself. Flight 93 was also hijacked. During the hijacking, some crew members and passengers decided to revolt. This was their best hope at surviving because they had already heard of the other two airplanes crashing into the World Trade Center and one aircraft crashing into the Pentagon. The passengers attempted taking the airplane back over and even managed to wound and kill a few of the terrorists involved. Unfortunately, 
the aftermath of this revolt ended in the terrorists nosediving the airplane into the ground, killing all 37 people on board instantly. Welcome to the Higher Theories Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie. On today's episode, part three of our special three-part series on 9-11, the collapse of the Twin Towers. Part three will consist of the theories surrounding the event. There are many, and I mean many, enough to dedicate the podcast to the event itself. But today, I'm only going to focus on three conspiracies. Theory number one. Insiders knew about the attacks before they happened. Right before the September 11th attacks, some fishy business happened within the stock market and insurance firms. An extraordinary amount of put options were placed on United Airlines and American Airlines stocks, the same airlines that were hijacked during the attacks. Many speculate the traders were tipped off about the attacks and profited from the tragedy. The Securities and Exchange Commission launched an insider trading investigation in which Osama bin Laden was a suspect after receiving information from at least one Wall Street firm. Theory number two. The airplanes did not make the towers collapse. Bombs did. The World Trade Center collapse appeared similar to a controlled demolition. Many speculate that the towers were in fact blown down with explosives placed in selected locations. Some witnesses recounted hearing explosions inside the building as they attempted to escape. Many architects and scientists even maintain that a plane's fuel cannot produce enough heat to melt the steel frames of the two buildings that collapsed. Theory number three, the Bush government, CIA, and FBI could have stopped the attacks, but didn't. The government and CIA had prior knowledge to almost all the men involved in this attack. Many were known to be in flight training right there in the USA. The government was warned the Al-Qaeda were going to attack, and it was known the attack would be with hijackings. Why was nothing done? Alright, now I will cover Theory 1. On September 21st, 2001, the SEC referred two specific transactions to the FBI for criminal investigation as potential informed trades. One of those trades was a September 6, 2001 purchase of 56,000 shares of Stratisec, security contractor for several of the facilities that were compromised on 9-11. These facilities included the World Trade Center buildings, Duell's Airport where American Airlines Flight 77 took off, 
and also United Airlines, which owned two of the other three ill-fated planes. As strategic director Ort Walker III and his wife Sally Walker both bought the affected 56,000 shares of strategic stock. This is clear from a 2003 FBI memo declassified in redacted form in 2009, generated to record the summary of the trades investigated. The strategic stock that the Walkers purchased doubled in value in one trading day between September 11th and when the stock market reopened on September 17th. The Commission Memorandum suggests that the trade generated a profit of $50,000 for the Walkers. Although the FBI declined to interview either of the Walkers and insisted and instead made the claim that they were both cleared of any wrongdoing because they had no ties to terrorism or other negative information. Some argued the Walker's innocence due to his tie to the Carlisle Group, a private global investment firm with more than $203 billion in assets under management across 126 funds and 139 fund-of-fund vehicles. In 2002, investigator Kyle Hentz wrote about the stocks involved in SEC's target list, those that had the highest examples of trade volume over the average were UAL, 285 times over average, Marsh and McLennan, 93 times over average, American Airlines had 60 times over the average in trades, and Citigroup had 45 times over the average. Other stocks flagged included financial firms, defense-related companies, and the reinsurance firms Munich Re, Swiss Re, and the AXA Group. Put options for these reinsurance firms, or bets that the stock would drop, were placed at double the normal levels in the days before the attacks. Regulators were concerned about large block trades on these stocks because the three firms were liable for billions in insurance payouts due to the damage inflicted on 9-11. The four highest volume suspect stocks, UAL, Marsh, AMR, and Citigroup, were closely linked to the 9-11 attacks. The two airline companies each had two planes hijacked and destroyed. Marsh was located in the exact eight floors out of the 110 in the North Tower of the World Trade Center where Flight 11 impacted and the fires occurred, destroying everything the company had. Citigroup was the parent of Travelers Insurance, which was expected to see 500 million in claims and also Salmon Smith Barney, which occupied all but 10 floors in the World Trade Center, Building 7. 
With respect to insider trading, or what is more technically called informed trading, the commission report was itself suspect for several reasons. First, the informed trades relating to 9-11 covered far more than just airline company stock. The stocks of financial and reinsurance companies, as well as other financial vehicles, were identified as being associated with suspicious trades. Huge credit card transactions completed just before the attacks were also involved. The commission ultimately tried to frame all of this highly suspicious trading in terms of a series of misunderstandings. However, the possibility that so many leading financial experts were so completely wrong is doubtful at best, and if true, would constitute another unbelievable scenario in the already highly improbable sequence of events represented the official story of 9-11. Theory number two. So just before the two New York skyscrapers collapsed on September 11th, 2001, powerful explosions within the building could be heard, leading many people to believe that overheated steel beams in the building were not the cause of the collapse. The explosions fed the conspiracy theories that someone had placed explosives inside the towers. At an international materials technology conference in San Diego, the audience heard senior scientist Christian Simonson of SINTEF Materials and Chemistry present an alternative theory based on the physics of materials of what happened in the Twin Towers when they were attacked by the aircraft. The SINTEF researcher believes that his theory is much more likely to reflect the actual situation than the official explanation of the collapse. Simonson believes that it is overwhelmingly likely that the two aircraft were trapped inside an insulating layer of building debris within the skyscrapers. This leads him to believe that it was the aircraft's hull rather than the buildings themselves that absorbed most of the heat from the burning aircraft fuel. The Sintef scientist believes that the heat melted the aluminum of the aircraft hulls, and the core of his theory is that the molten aluminum then found its way downwards within the buildings through the staircases and gaps in the floor, and that the flowing aluminum underwent a chemical reaction with water from the sprinklers in the floors below. Both scientific experiments and 250 reported disasters suffered by the aluminum industry have shown that the combination of molten aluminum and water releases enormous explosions, says Simonson. Simonson continued to go on and say, I regard it as extremely likely that it was these explosions that made the skyscrapers collapse by tearing out part of the internal structure, and that this caused the uppermost floors of the building to fall and crush the lower parts. 
In other words, I believe that these were the explosions that were heard by people in the vicinity and that have since given life to the conspiracy theories that explosives had been placed in the skyscrapers. But things are hardly that simple. No one has authoritatively explained why one World Trade Center remained standing for one hour and 40 minutes while two other trade centers crashed to the ground just 56 minutes after impact. Another mystery is why smaller, nearby structures remained standing even though fire and steel from the Twin Towers rained down on them and even ripped huge chunks out of their facades. The fire is the most misunderstood part of the World Trade Center collapse. Even today, the media report and many scientists believe that the steel melted. It is argued that the jet fuel burns very hot, especially with so much fuel present. This is not true. Part of the problem is that people, including engineers, often confuse temperature and heat. While they are related, they are not the same. Thermodynamically, the heat contained in a material is related to the temperature through the heat capacity and the density, or mass. Temperature is defined as an intensive property, meaning that it does not vary with the quantity of material, while the heat is an extensive property, which does vary with the amount of material. One way to distinguish the two is to note that if a second log is added to the fireplace, the temperature does not double, it stays roughly the same, but the size of the fire or the length of time the fire burns, or a combination of the two, doubles. Thus, the fact that there were 90,000 liters of jet fuel on a few floors of the World Trade Center does not mean that this was an unusually hot fire. The temperature of the fire at the World Trade Center was not unusual, and it was most definitely not capable of melting steel. In combustion science, there are three basic types of flames, namely a jet burner, a premixed flame, and a diffuse flame. A jet burner generally involves mixing the fuel and the oxidant in a nearly stoichiometric proportions and igniting the mixture in a constant volume chamber. Since the combustion products cannot expand in the constant volume chamber, they exit the chamber at a very high velocity, fully combusted jet. This is what occurs in a jet engine and this is the flame type that generates the most intense heat. In a pre-mixed flame, the same nearly stoichiometric mixture is ignited as it exits a nozzle under constant pressure conditions. It does not attain the flame velocities of a jet burner. An oxy-settling torch or a Bunsen burner is a pre-mixed flame. In a diffuse flame, the fuel and the oxidant are not mixed before ignition but flow together in an uncontrolled manner 
and combust when the fuel and oxidant ratios reach values within the flammable range. A fireplace flame is a diffuse flame burning in the air, as was the World Trade Center fire. Diffuse flames generate the lowest heat intensities of the three flame types. Some reports suggest that the aluminum from the aircraft ignited, creating very high temperatures, but while it is possible to ignite aluminum under special conditions, such conditions are not commonly attained in a hydrocarbon-based diffuse flame. In addition, the flame would be white-hot, like a giant sparkler. There was no evidence of such aluminum ignition, which would have been visible even through the dense soot. So maybe the towers were designed to fail. The World Trade Center was not defectively designed. No designer of the World Trade Center anticipated, nor should have anticipated, a 90,000 liter Molotov cocktail on one of the building floors. Skyscrapers are designed to support themselves for three hours in a fire, even if the sprinkler system fails to operate. This time should be long enough to evacuate the occupants. The World Trade Center towers lasted for one to two hours, less than the design life, but only because the fire fuel load was so large. No normal office fires would fill 4,000 square meters of floor space in the seconds in which the World Trade Center fire developed. Usually the fire would take up to an hour to spread so uniformly across the width and breadth of the building. But this was a very large and rapidly progressing fire. There could be many more explanations for the eventual collapse, but the fires for sure did not cause the eventual collapse. On the early morning of September 11th, United States President George Bush was at Emma E. Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, Florida. He was attending the school to visit with the children and read them a storybook. After getting the news of the attacks, the school transformed into a makeshift operations room. From there, Bush addressed the nation about the attacks. But did he already know the attacks were going to happen? Yes. For Theory 3, I'm going to list a timeline of some notable events in the government that hints at them having prior knowledge of the attacks, and even who was going to commit the attacks. So I'll start in 1988, when Osama bin Laden founded Al-Qaeda, a militant group with a core goal of waging global jihad. On January 6, 1995, Abdul Hakim Murad is arrested in Manila, Philippines. He details plans to blow up U.S. airliners over the Pacific and to crash a plane packed with explosives 
into either the CIA headquarters or another U.S. federal building. On August 7, 1998, bombs explode at U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania, killing 224 people. Al-Qaeda claims responsibility. October 8, 1998, the FAA warns airlines and airports to maintain a high degree of alertness. The warning is in response to statements made by bin Laden in the aftermath of the U.S. bombings of Al-Qaeda targets in Afghanistan and Sudan. Fast forwarding to late 1998. The U.S. intelligence community collects info indicating bin Laden wants to coordinate an attack inside the United States, but the threats are vague, lacking in details about the time and place. Concern reaches peak levels during the spring and summer of 2001. In 1999, French intelligence puts Zacharias Maswai on a watch list of suspected terrorists. In September 1999, a federal study of terrorism is released. According to the study, Al-Qaeda poses the most serious terrorist threat to U.S. security interests. The study warns that Al-Qaeda could crash land and aircraft packed with high explosives into the Pentagon or the headquarters of the CIA or maybe even the White House. In December of 1999, the CIA intercepts phone conversations in Yemen detailing plans for an upcoming Al-Qaeda summit in Malaysia. December 14, 1999, Ahmed Resin is stopped trying to enter the U.S. from Canada. In his car, investigators find 130 pounds of bomb-making materials. It is revealed, eventually, that Rassam planned to blow up the Los Angeles International Airport. January 2000, the CIA obtains intelligence pertaining to a meeting of suspected Al-Qaeda operatives in Kuala Lumpur. Fast forwarding to October 12, 2000, suicide bombers attack the USS Cole in Yemen, killing 17 sailors. Al-Qaeda claimed responsibility. In 2001, Maswai trains at flight schools in Oklahoma and Minnesota. From January to September 2001, the FAA issued 15 information circulars containing generalized warning about terrorist threats. July 10, 2001, FBI agent Kenneth Williams writes a memo about Middle Eastern men training at Phoenix area flight schools, speculating that they could be connected to Al-Qaeda. CIA Director George Tenet briefs officials, including National Security Advisor 
Condoleezza Rice about the Al-Qaeda threat. So right there they know that they're flight training, they are known suspected terrorists, the Al-Qaeda has claimed now three attacks. It's getting basically to the fact that they know something is going to happen. August 6, 2001, President George W. Bush receives a memo titled Bin Laden Determined to Strike in U.S. August 15, 2001, the Paman International Flight Academy in Minnesota alerts the FBI to their suspicions about Mosway. He had paid for the training in cash and requested instruction on flying large jets, even though he had little experience. Maswai is later questioned by the FBI, and arrangements are made to deport him. On August 23, 2001, the CIA sends an urgent cable to the FBI, State Department, Customs, and INS alerting them to the CIA's concerns about individuals linked to Bin Laden. September 11, 2001. Four airplanes were hijacked, two flown into the towers, one into the Pentagon, and one into the ground. Al-Qaeda claims responsibility. September 4, 2001. Bush's national security advisors approve a draft version of a plan to combat Al-Qaeda. It includes provisions for $200 million to arm the enemies of the Taliban. The advisors plan to present the draft to Bush on September 10th. However, the president is traveling and does not see it. This has now led to an over 20-year war. So from that timeline alone, Yes, they were very much aware of the attacks, and for sure could have avoided them. But I'll let you be the judge. Well, that's it for our three-part series on 9-11, the collapse of the Twin Towers. I could have gone on and on about this topic, so maybe I'll come back in a few months and cover another few theories from the event. There were so many to go over, I decided to pick three that I enjoyed and wanted to share with you guys. So I want to thank everyone who listened and enjoyed this three-part series. With 19 pages of notes and over 8,000 words, it definitely was and might be the biggest conspiracy I cover. (laughs) Remember, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you find your favorite podcast. If you want to help us out, a quick review or five stars helps out greatly. Thank you and stay strange.